Hunter Balper, the team of the Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio, my guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, making his monthly appearance on the program. It's his monthly appearance. He is a senior editor at Fangraphs.com. It is Jeff Sullivan. Jeff Sullivan is the guest. And on uh, Jeff's appearance here, as is the case with every one of Sullivan's appearances on the program, what we do, Sullivan and I, we endeavor to provide a deep and sustained examination of nonsense. An examination of nonsense. You recognize this is not to everyone's taste, so if you're looking for the same sort of crack analysis that appears in the electronic pages of Fangraphs, point your internet browser instead to Dave Cameron's weekly appearances in the program, during which he analyzes all baseball, or, alternatively, to Eric Longenhagen's fortnightly appearances. That is led prospect analyst Eric Longenhagen's fortnightly appearances during which he during which he analyzes all prospects. Instead, what we do here is to allow Jeff Sullivan's mind, the same mind that's responsible for two posts per day at Fangraphs.com, we allow that mind to flourish and also to reveal dark secrets about Fangraphs, for example, about the somewhat invasive and perhaps even unconstitutional security check which is required of Fangraphs authors before they're officially hired. Uh, yes, begin with the mouth and then do a full cavity search. That dark secret and others like it revealed in the conversation to follow. What is not to follow is a message from the sponsor. If there were a message from the sponsor, it would be from SeatGeek and SeatGeek.com, although to the best of my knowledge, no sponsor's message is required in this particular episode. So what we do is we get to that conversation with Jeff Sullivan post-haste. What is it? It is Fangraphs Audio. Who does it feature? That same senior editor, Jeff Sullivan. When does it begin? Right now. Noted authors, Sam Miller and Ben Lindbergh, care to use. So, uh-huh. are you actively eating on the podcast? This is a uh, slice of. <laughs> it's called the Old Shire Town. It's a it's a, a pleasant little creamery based in Phippsburg, Maine. And uh, this is a tasty cheese that they make. So there you go. That was that was a very Maine sentence. I I can't help but notice that we're already recording. So. Listeners have now been subjected to one minute of us discussing a web page and a program that they are not privy to, and no. you eating cheese from Phippsburg, a town I refuse to believe is real, in Maine, uh-huh. North America. No, yeah, I would say w- worse. They've been they've been treated to a meta summary. <laughs> yeah. So hey, how's it going? It's going all good. It's going yep. it's going all good. <laughs> you know how it is. Um, you and I saw each other recently. Yes, we did. Uh, yes, we did. Uh, other things that uh, that people didn't know, but that was that was quite fun. Very nearly made it a a triumvirate of of visiting people that I'm familiar with in Bath, Maine, but settled for for two parties instead of three, maximum possible. Oh, you know, you have, you have a third. There's a third person here. There were uh, a friend of mine. Friends of mine were driving from New York to Bangor. Sure. And they were Bath is only about ten minutes off off their path. But we couldn't put it together, but it was just swell. It was a pleasure to see you and your dog and your wife and your house and your place, and, and it was good. And to see the two places pleasure. to you go know, get a do. drink. Yeah, we did. We went to two of them. <laughs> yeah, um, that was uh, it. Was all pleasant, and I met your lady friend. She was 
Very nice. <laughs> what do you say? She's good. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know, know like, what you're supposed to say without I I, sounding like you're objectifying. Yeah, you can't, right. You can't be like, she was, I don't know if I could say objectively. Well, this is an example of what not to say. <laughs> this is an example of what not to say. I don't know if objectively, because who knows objectively if she was attractive. I can't say I was deeply attracted to her. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you do not say. And that is regardless of uh, your sexual identity. It, uh, that's universal. You do not Wait, was say. That, was that your way of of talking about the way that my partner looks without without talking about the way that my partner looks? No, I think she. I think she looks like a like a perfectly acceptable person. <laughs> I'd give her a job. That that's, I mean, that's that's what I can tell you. Uh-huh. I would not. I'm not inherently suspicious of her given how she looks. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's a positive thing to say, right? I. I guess, yeah, and it it mostly echoes the my feelings for your own spouse. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, yeah, you just don't want to you don't want to say. I know that my grandfather my grandfather has just like a a short lonely. I mean, he's a ninety five year old person, so this is deeply inappropriate for anyone who's you know <laughs> like under eighty. But he'll always if he thinks a woman is attractive, and he thinks that he he has a similar sort of complimentary list for men too. It's actually not very different. But he will say, um, she's pleasant. She's got a nice figure. Mm-hmm. And he'll either say some combination of nice smile or night or good teeth. <laughs> so it's actually, in most cases, it is, uh, it's difficult to know whether he's talking about a human woman <laughs> or if he's like a judge at the Westminster dog show. Because I, think, I believe good teeth is a big part of, uh, dog show judging and and pony show judging, right? Okay, yeah, all right. I don't know. Uh, Gift horses and mouths and whatnot. Is that what? Yeah, what? Uh, what does that come from? Looking a gift horse in the mouth. Well, uh, no, if, well, if I, I believe that has to do with uh, Greek people, doesn't it? I don't know what civilization it, it goes back to, but it uh, would have to do with one of the ways that horses used to be evaluated was by their teeth, oh. and then if it's essentially saying, don't. Be an about that people give you for free. Okay. Uh, should you be, um, what about a Greek who, um, brings you a gift horse? Should you look that in the mouth? I'm, I don't think, you, no. Okay. The expression is, no, I don't think it's unclear. Greeks. No, I, I don't think this, there's any lack of clarity here. You don't look a gift horse in the mouth, full stop. Now, if it's brought to you by a Greek, well, maybe one might say that you should be inherently untrust, untrusting suspicious. of any Greek. However, yeah. suspicious of any Greek person. However, if a Greek person were to provide you with a gift, you'd, you might judge uh, his his countenance at first. But you'd say, oh, thank you for the, the very thoughtful gift. This runs contrary to all stereotypes yeah. with which I'm familiar from Greece. I didn't think that anybody in Greece was in an economic situation to provide people with gifts for free. Yeah. I'm I'm pleased to see you're doing so well. I'll tell you what, before I uh, I was familiar with the works of Homer, uh-huh. the phrase or the 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 saying, uh she like something to the effect of she's got a, a face the face that launched a thousand ships. Yeah. I, I thought it was because whoever about whomever they were speaking, I thought she was so ugly <laughs> that people were trying to get away from her. And that's why that happened. Uh, and so I, what I always imagine is this woman standing, she's on the shore and they're just 
just thousands of, or you know, tens of thousands of sailors. It was just so <laughs> repelled by. Oh yeah, that was like a Medusa yeah. situation. She didn't have a nice smile. The face that launched a thousand ships. I just okay, so I just came up with a correction. So I think it is permitted to look a gift wooden horse in the mouth. In fact, I would say that it is imperative that you look a gift wooden horse in the mouth. And maybe inspect it even more carefully than that. Uh, yes, begin with the mouth and then do a full cavity search. Probably. Also, the kind of uh, I'd say strike one and perhaps strike two and three against <laughs> the Trojans in this case was it's like a wooden horse is not that great of a gift. Right? Can you imagine? Like just that's, we. I know I've we've left some like furniture on the street corner in Portland, mm-hmm. and we've like uh, we took a an ugly dresser or bookcase or something out there like a month ago. We took this dresser out to the sidewalk a month ago, and ten minutes later we were walking down the street. Ten minutes later we were walking down the street to go do something else, and it was gone. It was yeah. just gone because people, you know, they they go around and they just pick stuff up, no matter how heavy it is. If it can fit in a Subaru, then they're going to take it, and. Yeah. Uh, but I think if, if I left out a wooden horse, certainly a wooden horse the size of one's home, perhaps. It would have to be really big. Right. I mean, that's, it's so big, it's not, it's bigger than a, a tiny house, you know? So you're, it wouldn't, if, if, if you left a a wooden horse on the street corner, it wouldn't get taken, it would become resided within by the neighborhood homeless. It's a it's a strange. Well, what do you think is stranger? Do you think it's stranger that the Trojans accepted it, or do you think it's strange? It's stranger that the Greeks hatched that plan. <laughs> They're like, you know, you know what, you know what people consider irresistible is a large wooden horse that you just leave on outside their gates at night so they can't see, and then the next morning they wake and they and their first thought is free horse. <laughs> Of course. I mean, what? Like, who? Who among them was like, "This is definitely going to work." And what was the, what was the the editing process? What was that writer's room like? Right. What what ideas didn't pass? Like, hey, okay, okay, we're gonna have we're gonna have a rubber ostrich, and we're all gonna get no, no, okay, because it's no. gonna get too hot. It's gonna get way too hot inside. It's gonna, it's gonna be kind of sticky. Well, no one's going to want to get inside. the Trojans do not care for ostriches. Famously. I think <laughs> not enough conversation devoted to the Trojan <laughs> repulsion toward toward the ostrich. So the wooden – I mean maybe maybe they just knew someone had like a horse fetish. But Right. Hector. Yeah. Who do we have over there? Hector? Paris? Priam? King Priam? I think You're, King – Priam is the king I think and then his son is Hector. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Paris is the sort of uh, I always thought of because I think he's he's smooth skinned. Uh-huh. He might have. Um, he I think he lacked in terms of masculine virtue, although uh-huh. not in one way because he coaxed. Uh, uh, well, he coaxed. He had uh, his. Uh, I think uh, he had a bed with sexy inlaid rings. Ooh, that's what I remember. Yeah, yeah. I read this. I read. I read the Iliad at a formative time. <laughs> and I just remember inlaid rings. How long did it take to build the wooden horse? I don't remember. I don't know. Was it an overnight scheme? I don't think that that would be realistic. Yeah, well, there's a lot that's not realistic. Okay, apparently. okay, but let's 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 ex- identify all of the parts that are not realistic. We've touched on two. Yeah. Why welcome the wooden horse? Why construct a wooden horse? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but if if upon 
engaging in conflict, the opponents suddenly stop engaging in conflict. And then upon one morning, you wake and you find that there is a wooden horse where once there were enemies. That's further suspicion, I would say. Especially, I'm going to guess, there would have been the noise of a lot of hammering and sawing. Because oh, they didn't yeah, but some ways away, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I think some ways away. That's the, that to me is not the the most inconceivable part of this conversation. Uh huh. But was there any question? Hey, here's a here's a here's a topic. Is there any question of how many cubits it was supposed to be in either in length or width or height? The three main directions, because of course, when when uh, the uh, when Yahweh is warning Noah of the flood, uh-huh. he's very specific about how many cubits it ought to be, you know, the dimensions. Do Was there any discussion of cubits in the construction of uh, the Trojan horse? I don't know. <laughs> hey, what was it? When when they welcomed it in, did they wait until everyone was asleep or was everyone drunk? I remember drunkenness, but I might be making things up. Oh, uh, maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. My impression, and of course... What's more important, the way it's actually written or the way I remember it? Uh, <laughs> well, we're only going to get one in this podcast. <laughs> the way I remember it is perhaps the perhaps the Trojans engage in some sort of uh, reveling, and then they all fall asleep and drunk, yeah? And then the Greeks wheel it up to the door, and it's sort of like, what is it when you uh, in the bag, a paper bag, and then set it on fire? Uh, What's that? Being in... Well, is it called a hot foot, maybe, or something like that? Uh, I thought a hot foot is when you put, like, a match between somebody's toes. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You know, the way that it's fun to make people burn. In any way, I conceived of it as similar to that. The Greeks, not unlike, not unlike, um, you know, young fraternity brothers in a, uh, in a mid 80s comedy, that they would wheel it up to the gate. To, uh, you know, to the walls, and then they would sort of knock, and then they'd run away and uh, hide around the corner. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Although I guess if they're all inside, then just one of them would have to go out and knock, and then <clears throat> But run. then did that one push the entire horse? No, no, no. I think the Trojans lead it in. Well, like, to get it up to the gates in the first place. When did they oh, all scramble into I the see. horse, and then how many people pushed it up to the gate? I think they must have all pushed it up to the gate. That's right. So you, Under you cover of darkness, I think. The revelry taking place within the fortress, or whatever it was, the town, took yeah. place before the arrival like of the horse, night, or after? That night, say like until, say like until 2 a.m., right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then the Greeks were like, hey, all the revelry is done. Mm-hmm. Um, without exception, everyone in Troy is asleep. Perfect time to wheel up the wooden horse that's um, going to make a great present. <laughs> and then uh, and the, the, the Trojans are, will be seduced by it immediately. Um, uh, yeah, and then they wheeled it up. The, everyone got in except for one guy. He knocked on the gate. Then they were all in there. Okay. So what I would have – what I thought – well, so what I know is that they only merged from the horse once within – uh, also under cover of sleep or or drunkenness. Oh, is that true too? So I I would yeah, assume yeah. that they would have wheeled it up uh, under cover of darkness as well. So then you wake up and you kind of stretch and you rub your eyes and you're like, oh, a free horse, because you know you're not making a lot of like really good decisions when you are no, when it's that not. early in the morning. Just like oh okay, but I didn't know if 
if there was further revelry upon receiving the horse because people were going so bad crazy over yeah. receiving a hollow wooden horse. Mm-hmm. If it was like so maybe, you know, gift gifts change. People used to give pet rocks and that was only like thirty years ago. Or or uh yeah. or was there ever a situation? Do you remember like the the denouement of the hut no, not the hut sucker proxy. The other one about the prison. Was the one the movie about the prison? It's a very famous movie. The Shawshank Redemption. Shawshank Redemption. Mm, you know, uh, the the sort of beginning of the end of that film, when the warden throws a a small piece of stone against the poster, yeah, and then it goes through, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. and then he has the realization like, oh, I've been duped, right? Mm-hmm. Do you think there's ever a situation during the revelry that someone threw a bottle at the horse, maybe, and then realized, ah, oh, this is this is not it's not solid wood, is it? It's hollow. It's a bit hollow. Or maybe they would like smash the bottle against the horse like you do with a boat to yeah. christen it. Yeah. Like, yeah, this is our horse. Horse on wheels. Although, probably wouldn't have christened a horse or anything at that point because the the Christ, the Christ part of that had not really, hadn't come that's, around. That's true. They would have just the horse. It wasn't, <laughs> yeah. wasn't the or they would have Zeused it. <laughs> you could have Zeused it. I don't know what, I don't know what the, I'm sure there was a ritual for, a, a newly crafted vessel. Um, well, I'll tell you what it wasn't, and that's examining the insides of it. It's true. Yeah. yeah. Classic, classic mistake. Always, yeah. always check the insides of things that you're given. I don't know. What, I don't know if, if it's precise to say that it's a it's a, a case study in Darwinism. But if you do, if you go around as a as a culture, mm-hmm. just uh, taking gifts, taking large wooden horses. Without asking any questions, then it's it's just not a strong it's not a strong national security policy. And then you figure whoever whose ever idea it was to come up with a wooden horse, he was probably pitching that idea again over and over and over and over in all future conflicts. Just like, hey, oh yeah, we got a problem with the Persians. Yeah, no wooden horse. We gotta do the wooden horse. <laughs> like this worked once. This is like when Bartolo Colon homered off James Shields. It's like, okay, we all we all had our moment. Yeah, we gotta we gotta be done with the wooden horse. Actually, that's you know at, at a certain point during World War II, um, Italy they allied themselves with Germany and the Nazi Party specifically, and that was actually Mussolini kept throwing that idea around. He's like, you want to, you're having trouble with England, I see. You know, you're raiding them a lot, but there's been no nothing in the way of you know, ground troops. Have you considered? <laughs> have you considered a horse, <laughs> a hollow horse? Because I'll tell you what, it's been working. For Mediterranean people for thousands of years. It hasn't, it hasn't not worked mm-hmm. for thousands of years at the very least, which is yeah. not an untrue argument. It'd be decent. It'd be one of the best arguments Mussolini made. If, okay, I, I understand that at this point conflicts are not really fought, uh, around town borders in the same way and, and city walls, but if, if you had a conflict and then one morning, the those being sieged woke up and found outside the city walls a giant wooden horse. Would it mm-hmm. would would it function as like sort of a a ceasefire, maybe like an olive branch, like everyone just kind of stops, realizes they're being silly for trying to murder everyone, and then just, everyone just kind of like laughs together, like, "Hey, look, look what we thought might work. Let's stop murdering each other." <laughs> 
because of this wooden horse joke. What a what a throwback, what a callback historical <laughs> reference for all of us to enjoy. Yeah, I think that or, I, well, you could try something with it. Do you think that would might work with uh, some of, uh, for example, our country's skirmishes uh, uh, abroad? I. You'd have to assume that you that the enemy uh-huh. uh, w- were aware to some degree. I don't know to what degree. Uh, for example, ISIL. Uh-huh. I don't know what what to what degree their forces are aware of of the you know the big the top jams in the <laughs> in the Western canon. In fairness, though, it is like among the very jamest of of the top jams. I think. It's a big it, one. It feels like it's a, it would be a a fairly universal uh yeah fable. Although, I don't know what it, it was. It, would it be fair to say uh and this is this is getting um might too close to real talk. I concede that. Would it be fair to say that the that um the militarized factions uh in the Middle East like ISIS, ISIL, for example, uh, do they do they maybe prey on um, the poor and uneducated? Is that possible? Is that possible? Well, it's. I would say it is possible. Young, angry men. Of course, I learned about the the wooden horse when I was at a very young age. I don't know how it's taught elsewhere. Uh, I can't speak to those within the the ISIL ranks and their levels of education. But really it wouldn't be it wouldn't be the lower level people welcoming the horse in, right? Just like it wouldn't have been one of the peons welcoming the horse True. into yeah, Troy. Right. It would have been one of the rule rulers. And the rulers are I would have to assume a fairly intelligent, decently yeah. well read. Yeah. Certainly aware of some some sort of well it's you know I mean when I was in college, the same class in which uh in which I read in which I read uh uh at least uh, I mean, by both of Homer's works, I guess the major ones. I uh, I think I also read the Quran and uh, would have also read a Muslim thinker. Maybe yeah, I'm going to say uh, somewhere 12th to 16th century. This is the best I can do. Mm-hmm. I very much forget right now, and uh-huh. as a consequence, I did poorly in the class. So, listen, I want to I want to broach another subject with you. Oh, we only spent 20 minutes on the horse. <laughs> the uh, here's a I, I, I'm having a bit of a um, well, I, I guess conundrum is the word I want to use. What's a synonym for conundrum? You got one? Puzzle? Yeah, per, like quandary. A, a quandary. I'm facing a, a personal quandary. Yeah. A uh, dilemma. A personal dilemma. Does that seem fair to you? Yeah. All of these. All of these work. I understand the point you're trying to make. Yeah, I re- I have a recent. I every year I like to buy a new cap, a new a new cap. Yeah. And uh, I had bought one this year. And I hadn't even bought one uh, by the time you arrived. However, I resolved that I would, uh, after having seen it, maybe online, I resolved that I was going to buy a cap from the Oxbow Brewing. Oxbow Brewing is located. It has two locations in Maine. Uh, the flagship, however, is located in Newcastle, Maine, which is not far from where I live. And uh, I, I had been looking at Oxbow's site, and I said, because I, I decided I wanted a hat that um, that was related to Maine somehow, and yet was not a University of Maine cap, uh, and it was not a trucker-style cap because I don't find those very comfortable. Um, so, uh, and when I came across this, I, 
I said I w- would like that hat. And then, uh, but they did not have them at the Newcastle location. However, this past weekend I was at the Portland location. They did have them. Let me tell you about this hat. Let me tell you about uh, the problem I'm having. I bought it. Here's here are its virtues. It meets all of the criteria I laid out before. It's a main thing. It looks good. It's a nice blue color. Um, very nice in every way, except for this, uh, Jeff. It's a five-panel cap. Well, that's a lot of panels. It's a f- well, I don't know. Is it how many panels is the usual one? Actually, now I don't know. Yeah, but do you know what I mean by five-panel cap? Do you have to look so. it up? Do you have to look it up? All right, well, look, look. I'll do that. You keep talking about the hat. Yeah, look. So, so it's a five-panel hat, and I'm worried. Uh, I think it, on its own, it's a hat. It's a nice hat, but I'm worried that w- when it's on my head, that um, that I look like a little bit of. I bear some slight resemblance to a wanker. <laughs> oh, <laughs> if I make a certain. This is a five-panel hat. Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying about five-panel cap? Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's I, not a, that's not exactly what I was what I thought. I'm worried that that were I to see myself on the street, for example, I would be like, "Who's that?" I would say in to my own head, not out loud, not like a, like a crazy person. I'd say in my head, I'd say, "Who's that wanker?" You know. Yeah. yeah. Um, so as you can see, it's uh, tough. So I don't know. Uh, do you have any wisdom to share? Do you think? Uh, just imagine me. You know what I look like. Uh-huh. You know what I how I act. Yeah. What do you think? Kind of a uh, kind of wankery. Yeah. Do you I think, think I would look wankery? Comp- Oh, I think I'm I'm describing I think the way that I see you. So it would okay. be a befitting cap. Oh, but, oh, oh, typically you think. Uh, but I, uh, I, I'm not wild about this style. No, I don't. I'm not a man who wears a lot of baseball caps. Yeah, you don't. Uh, uh, it's this this full thick head of luscious hair can't be hidden yeah. beneath any canvas. I think that uh, I am fond, in particular. Uh, you wear you wear a lot of caps, as yeah. as we have been discussing, and yeah. I like on you the look of the bigger, sort of boxier, taller hats, yeah. as opposed to these. These seem like maybe they're a little more shallow. They have it's a low crown. Tell. They have a low crown. Yeah, that Which would be. Which I actually regard as one of the advantages, because you know, if you buy like a new, what a fifty nine fifty or what was that what they're called? Like a, you know what I mean, like a new era cap or whatever. The crowns tend to be quite tall. I believe there are certain players in the majors and at other levels who actually specifically order low crown caps. And I believe uh-huh. Ichiro Suzuki is one of them. I'm going to take your word for it. I'm yeah, not going to put any research into this. No, don't do it. But I believe uh, I believe that there are multiple players who specifically ask for a low crown cap. No. But I can't guarantee. I can't guarantee that that's the case. Uh-huh. Well, I don't see any alternative but to put this to a public vote. Well, I was conducting a sort of poll. It was just an N of one. Do you think it would? Do you think it would further compound how much of a wanker I look like? Is it a? Is it blue? Is the hat like a a bright sort of blue? And it says Oxbow on the front. Yeah. Are you, do you know what I'm? Yeah. Do you see I, it? I I see one. It might be that one. I assume it's not Does this it black sort of a, snapback. It's not a snapback, actually. It's a, it has a strap. It's a strapback. Right. But the one you're, at which you're looking, does it have kind of a patch on the front with red, with stripes, horizontal almost. red stripes, and then at a, at a sort of a diagonal, it, for, it forms a rhombus shape? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm and, looking at the same one. Yeah. 
So that's the okay. hat I purchased. Uh huh. Well, uh, I ha- I am aware of the fact that on a daily basis you wear a blank white t-shirt and some manner of black bottom, mm-hmm. uh, occasionally with a hoodie, depending on humidity conditions. So yeah, this is not going to be a deal breaker one way or another. <laughs> uh, I if I were to see the hat, you know, I have no idea what Oxbow is, so I like. It's a nice the... brewery. It's a nice. It's a nice main brewery. But nice the word up. Oxbow, what is, what is Oxbow? Because there, there is an Oxbow State Recreation Area or park or something that's just 10 minutes outside of Portland. And it's a word I've come across a few times on opposite coasts. So what uh... – Well, that's interesting. I think that – I think it's frequently a reference to a river. Yeah. Uh, that creates a sort of – a U shape, but I think that that maybe that is a reference itself uh, to the sort of like a yoke that would be placed on it on an ox. Yeah, an oxbow is a U shaped metal pole or larger wooden frame that fits the underside and the sides of the neck of an ox or bullock. Yeah. A bow pin holds it in place. So there you go. So there, yeah. So there, you've confirmed it. I assume by using the internet some at some level. Yeah. But I do know that. Oh, but also, you're right. But you're right. When rivers meander mm-hmm. uh, and are sometimes cut off from their course, they form an oxbow lake, which is so named because of the distinctive U shape. Okay. Well, that wasn't interesting, but it did address the point that you had raised. Right. So, but I, but I think that, for example, I lived in. Uh, well, no, I know, I know that I lived in Northampton, Massachusetts, and I know also that there was an oxbow river there, and I believe it was so called because there was an oxbow uh, shape. And it's very possible that there's uh, some such body of water near oxbow brewing so there we go (laughs) (laughs) i think that's what it means why did you want you were asking about it i was asking about the term oxbow yeah i I think i I think term oxbow is pretty common yeah. yeah, it turns out it's, it is not in any way regional, except I guess it's particular to regions that have rivers in them, which is <laughs> rivers, yeah, 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 yeah. Most. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah, places with rivers mostly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, yep, <laughs> I just, I, well, I, I guess I, I was living with this anxiety. I guess the point. Have you ever, you ever do anything like that? You ever, you ever feel like maybe you have made a fashion choice, Jeff? That's slightly outside of your comfort zone and you walk around, you say, on the one hand, I, on the one hand, I, Jeff Sullivan, endorse this garment. However, I do not know if I endorse how it, how it looks on me. Yeah. I, I endorse this shirt. I do not necessarily endorse me in this shirt. <laughs> yeah. However, I, mean, I am leaving myself to public judgment. Yeah. Uh, a few times. I am, do, you have a, I mean, do you have a, do you have a case? I mean, examples. Would you, like, would you care to use the rhetorical pattern of illustration? Okay. Well, it's Flesh it's difficult. I, I wear a lot of, you know, just button-down shirts. That's kind of the thing. You get to age of 30 or thereabouts, and you sort of you dress how you're going to dress for the rest of your life, which is maybe depressing if you care about clothes. But yeah. uh, there's one particular button-down shirt. It's a, uh, I'll say, a, a vibrant salmon color, perhaps, okay. but see, with yeah. – with, uh, with a uh, a brighter red uh, stripe down the front of it where the buttons are and uh, some red, I don't know, accessories or something. There's a word for them that clothes people know, but I don't 
know what they are. It's just like a, a bright shirt. It's a showy bright shirt with, uh, that's salmon or pink with some bright red stuff on it. And, uh, even though the, the cut of the shirt and the fit of the shirt and the way that I wear the shirt, totally normal within my realm of, uh, yeah. of my shirt wearing, uh, this particular shirt is a little more, I don't know, garish. Flamboyant. It's bright. It calls it, it's flamboyant. It calls attention to itself. It's the kind of shirt that when you wear it, then your brother will say something like, nice shirt. And you're like, is he saying it's a nice shirt or is he saying it's not a nice shirt? Yeah. I can't tell because he's my brother and I've known him my entire life, but I still can't quite interpret his words. Right, so right. it's a shirt that people talk about. Now, ordinarily, I'm not used to having shirts that people talk about, but for some reason, like five or six years ago, my mom made this remark that's like, oh, you had to wear bright colors. You ought to and, wear bright uh, colors? She, well, it was explicit, I don't wear bright colors. Implicit, I should wear bright colors in order to gain she, the approval she observed, of my mom. You did not wear, she, said, she said, Jeff, you do not wear bright colors. Yes. Uh, okay. And ever being in need of the approval of my mother, uh, that it's, has yeah. stuck in my head. And now I think, oh, I should get, I should get bright colors. But it's not, it's not that easy, first of all, because bright colors are not frequently marketed. Uh, Certainly not the men. It's not something that you see a lot of men wear. Even like the, the blues and reds and greens that you see around the Portland area, they're like, if they were all the, like if the colors were depressed, you know, like on the color spectrum. Yeah. It's like, okay, here's, yeah, here's, here's blue and here's like blue when it wants to kill itself. Like that's, that's like the blue that you see here. Or like somehow people around here wear reds, but if you look at the reds, it's like, that's kind of like gray, but it's red, but it's gray. So. No, gray and red together. Yeah, so so even the bright colors around here aren't bright colors, which kind of makes sense eight months of the year because nothing around here is bright and everyone does want to kill themselves. But I I do still search for a, for a little more brightness. But then the brighter I think your clothes get, the more you invite conversation. And I am not generally one who seeks out having conversation about the clothes that I'm wearing. No, right. I don't, I don't think you seek out conversation really of any stripe. Is that right? <laughs> that's uh that's not that's not untrue yeah i do so, i don't not like talking but i i sure don't like talking to people with whom i haven't spoken before right so let me so how often do you wear the shirt uh, uh once every two or three months okay and when you're wearing it what is generally what's generally your feeling you feel like a bit of an imposter I've gotten a little used to it, but I do, I do feel like it conveys, it, it at least hints at a, uh, a message that I'm, I'm not trying to broadcast, which is, Hey, this guy wants you to talk about his clothes. Yeah. And it's what I'm actually broadcasting is, Hey, I put this shirt on because it's the shirt that I took out of the closet. Right. That's and, your intention. Yeah, this is classic, I wanted the shirt uh, over this other shirt. This is classic Sosurian uh, communication, right? We have the signifier. Jeff and the signified, right? Your uh-huh. the signifier is what's communi- what you're temp- what you are attempting to communicate. You say, "I just put on a shirt," but what's being communicated is this guy loves this bright shirt. <laughs> yeah, because I guess certainly if someone, if you see someone, uh, that say you someone, don't know, say someone. If you see someone, say someone. <laughs> someone, someone. If you see someone <laughs> on the street and they're walking down the street and you don't know the person, then. The Im- image that you create in your head of that person is that person wearing those clothes, and you think, right. "Oh, yeah, that guy. That guy wears that shirt." Could, right, and I think that I think that the ten- your tendency is, but certainly my tendency is to think that person 
is giving his or her full professional endorsement of those garments. Right. And, you know, it. we discuss all the time how people's brains are wired to look for patterns. We talk about this because we look at baseball statistics and we try to find stories or patterns within them that aren't necessarily legitimate. Oh, right. but then according, it's even, according to our quasi-colleague Mitchell Lichtman, in fact, no, no patterns exist. And why are, why are we bothering? Why are you I'm here? still still desperately trying to figure out what exactly has drawn him to the sport of baseball when it <laughs> it seems given he did have, every circumstance he is yeah. just miserable with the game with the way people perform the game with the way people manage the game with the way people write about the game yeah but maybe well people there are people certainly out there who enjoy uh being miserable so. that's that's true and they wear drab blues and reds uh what so people we look for patterns in any observation that we make, even if we're not trying to, we can't help it. But what's interesting when you have this uh, the signifier, you see people in their uniform, their clothes that they're wearing. You arrive, you you make judgments based on a sample of one shirt or mm-hmm. like one outfit, a sample size of one greater than no sample size at all, and that's all that you need for your brain to decide. I bet I know how this person dresses all the time. A lot of, right. And if, and, and your point would be, um, that if someone were to do that to you based off of your bright salmon shirt, they would probably arrive at some, at some faulty conclusions. Yeah. This man is clearly a proud homosexual person. <laughs> or, is, uh, is or one this, man, common this man has clearly been, is clearly trying to please his mother. Well, that, In that is not, a, I think, a, a bad impression to convey. If that is if that is an impression that I am conveying, well, I'd rather be seen as being nice to my mother than cruel or indifferent, maybe even worse. How about attempting desperately to please his mother? That's no, I don't I don't care for that one very much. <laughs> I don't want to be perceived as someone who's who's trying to do anything desperately, right? Except maybe desperately continue to exist. Yeah, in some yeah state. desperately getting getting through the day. Yeah, I, I uh, like every couple of months. Uh, I think this might happen to you, uh, maybe more often, but every couple of months I do wake up and I, my alarm goes off and I hit the snooze button on my phone and I think one day I'll be dead. <laughs> and uh, there's no warning, uh, for when it comes. It can happen after good days, bad days, nights full of dreams, nights not full of dreams. I just wake up and it's like, oh yeah, all of this one day is going to be taken from me. Yeah. Just, just all of, just everything. But yeah, I think, you know, that, have we discussed it though? I think the silver lining is that, is that the closer you get to to it, and I mean, you know, I'm not talking about the, you know, the sort of tragic end, but the closer you, the 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 more you progress towards old age, and through old age, I think the less concerned you are about it all ending. Uh-huh. You start to see that it starts to really offer you some relief. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. Uh, I I think I've mentioned. Maybe I've mentioned before on a podcast that like once or twice over the course of the past year, my uh, my girlfriend has had a dream uh, where in the dream I have cheated on her and she's caught me in the act. Mm-hmm. And so then I will wake up and she will wake up and she'll just be kind of mad at me for for something that I didn't have a hand in. Her, in her brain. Uh, right. So uh, the most recent time, it was like last week, I think, I, I woke up and I had these thoughts of, oh, I'll be dead. And I kind of w- followed this chain of, of conversation in my own head. Yeah, and I took it from, you know, you started a point, and then you add layers to it, and you add layers, and you add layers, and then uh, my girlfriend started to stir, and we, I said, "Good morning," 
and she said good morning and we were both kind of like uh rubbing our eyes and I said, you know, I think I could get used to death. I could I could become okay with with dying. And she looked at me and I realized, oh, I hadn't explained to you anything that came before this. I don't have plans. Uh, I just, uh, I think, I think you could come to terms with it. Yeah. Uh, pretty quickly. I think, yeah, I think as soon fine. as it all falls away, you think, yeah, yeah, I've been on this ride for a while. Yeah. I think, I think that's, I think that's what happened. Hopefully that's what happens. I don't, I don't like the idea of clinging to it at the end because in addition to being horrifying, it's also undignified. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, my, uh, my 93 year old. About... Oh, that's good. Let's, let's change the subject actually. Yeah. yeah. I got uh topic A or topic oh. B. Wait, Which we're getting to topic A or B at minute 39 of the podcast. Well, these are, I mean, the ones, of the ones remaining, oh, or the, ones the ones remaining. I've thought to have remaining. All right. Let's see your A material. I'm not, well, no. Well, no, okay, actually, I was going to ask you, uh, I was going to ask you who your guys are right now. Uh, because you, I think, I believe for tomorrow morning, which will be roughly a week ago by the time that we've published. <laughs> uh, you, I believe somewhere you have a post about Cam Bedrosian. Mm-hmm. Is that true? Uh, yeah, I just that's why I was late for this podcast. I'm late sure. for most of my times on Fangrass podcast sure, and chats. But, but your, yeah, but I just want to know who your guys are right now. Well, I I just wrote about Edwin Diaz, who I who I love, and right. some of that is just the uh, the Mariner part. Uh, because I am, I remain fond of the Mariners, but he's sure good. Uh, and he's, he's good in a way where I think people get upset when they hear that their team is converting a starting prospect to a reliever because people think, oh, relievers, they're not Im- very important. But Edwin Diaz was converted to relief. He's shot up the system. He's in the majors now. He's closing and he's super good. He's, he has a higher strikeout rate than anyone, minimum 20 or 25 innings, whatever you want to say. He struck out almost half the batters he's faced, and he's walked not that many. And yeah. that's that's absolutely remarkable. And I know you can talk about small sample sizes and all that stuff, but if you have a guy who strikes out 50 batters in 26 innings or 25 innings, whatever he's done, that is insane. Bad yeah. pitchers can't do that. Even good pitchers can't do that. Really, really great strikeout pitchers are the only ones who can touch that kind of ceiling. And So uh, his numbers right now, he is in the sort of, uh, like, Kenley Jansen, Araldis Chapman, Andrew Miller. Yeah, yeah, he's he's right there. It just obviously they have they have bigger track records, of course, but he's he's already there. He's and even it's funny because for his first ten appearances, he had this like not great slider, and then he he changed the way that he holds it. And since then, not to like break the sample down even further, but since then he's right. he's struck out literally more than half the people he's faced, and his his FIP has been zero point one three. And that's over like 15 games or something, so it's not a, a super small sample. But he's just absurd. It, he's not this good. No one is is quite this good. But it's like a it's kind of like having Carter Caps back without the weird delivery, but with the same results. So you so so Diaz is Diaz is there. Diaz is uh, one, yeah. Uh, what's what's up what's up with Cam Bedrosian? How many innings has he thrown? Well, Cameron Drogen has actually thrown 40 innings this year, so oh, he has uh, 14 or 15 more than Diaz. But the reason I didn't even notice him because you know who's noticing any of the Angels right now? We don't. We even take Mike Trout for granted. We don't look at him that much. But well, I there's searched, really not a lot of directing your attention to the to the team other than Mike Trout is the problem. Right, right. It's Trout. But I searched just for curiosity over the past 30 days. You know, Fangraphs has that leaderboard yeah. filter. So I searched over the past 30 days, and I was looking at pitchers, and I I set a minimum of just 10 innings just to see because I I wanted to see how much Edwin Diaz was blowing away everyone else. 
And it turned out that Cam Bedrosian actually had the higher strikeout rate over the past month than Diaz. And Diaz, again, has struck out more than half the batters he's faced over the past month. So Cam Bedrosian has actually done even more than that. And I I was really interested in Bedrosian in 2014 when his minor league numbers were obscene. You probably uh, caught one. I mean, well, he was a first-round draft pick, so maybe he was too much of a prospect for you, but... Yeah, uh, his I'm numbers sure, in the yeah, minors are across the names. Yeah, yeah, before, yeah, certainly. Yeah, he was just obliterating the minor leagues. Uh, but then he wasn't very good with the Angels in 2014 or 2015. And then this year, uh, it turns out, hey, he, he has the second best ERA in all of baseball behind only Zach Britton, who's amazing. And uh, so Cam Bajojan is is on my radar. Uh, I think a difference between you and and me is you are noticing guys in the minors based on the numbers they're putting up, like Jarrell Cotton. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then, uh, surprisingly often, those players come up and they perform in the majors. So you are sort of projecting them, whereas I, I'm i sort of cheating because I'm drawn to guys when they're already producing in the majors, like Dario Alvarez, who the Rangers yeah, got very that's quietly. Yeah, right, yeah. Uh, he's, I mean, there's, there's a simple way to group these players together. They strike out a lot of guys. That's That's basically it. Uh, and you want to know, but you also want to know how they're doing it, right? Because there are a lot of pitchers in mm-hmm. the, in the majors currently who uh, who exhibit terrific arm speed. I mean, we're sort of un, in an unprecedented era in terms of that, right? Yeah. Um, and of course, with arm speed also comes the ability to mani- manipulate the ball in other ways that are ter- <laughs> that are um, uh, uh, terrible for batters to have to deal with. Uh-huh. And uh, so, so a lot of that's happening. So, but then you say, well, what makes even? I mean, the Dario Al- Dario Alvarez is an interesting, very interesting case, right? Because he was just traded as part of the deal. <laughs> well, it was a nothing. It was Lucas Harrell was the headliner oh, yeah. in that deal. Lucas Harrell to like fill the Rangers rotation temporarily, and then Travis Demerit. Uh, oh, yeah, they got uh-huh. right. They got Demerit. Yeah, as, as in return for that. So that worked out. Pretty good prospect for for the Braves to get, but yeah. Uh, everyone was like, oh, Harold, he's not very good, but, well, this is probably about Alvarez. And, and, uh, after, after the trade was made, like, people, based on what I read, people seemed to like it a lot for the Braves, because they thought, okay, well, they just got Harold and Alvarez for free within, like, a month or two, and then they turned that into a, a pretty decent prospect in Demerit. And I didn't see a lot of people arguing that Alvarez is really interesting, and so it sort of put me in a weird position of thinking, maybe I'm way wrong, but I heard, that night from uh, a player that actually Alvarez is a really good get for the Rangers and he's super difficult to face. So that was nice and uh, fulfilling, validating, I guess. Yeah, that's right. And well, I, I would have to think that, especially in your case, because you are providing so much content to the site. I mean, most days you're writing two posts. Most days you're supposed to write two posts. Mm-hmm. And so you're saying, well, who's ready? Who's ready for it now? <laughs> but the, what the, what these sort of pop-up relievers offer is, uh, a great deal of success in a short sample, a small sample, and also relative mm-hmm. anonymity, so that you can essentially you can uh, play the role of introducing them to a wider audience. It's not as though, yeah, not like the gatekeeper <laughs> for, <laughs> for everyone, but you do uh, certainly when you know when you write a post and publish it on the site, uh, if a certain number of people reading and say, "Oh, I might not have noticed Dario Alvarez." Yeah, I like if if I have a niche, this would. I guess this would at least be one of them. I, I really like pop-up relievers. I think over the winter I wrote about Michael Givens and Tony Zick as sort of nobodies who had really, really good small sample years in, in 2015. And 
Zick this year was good again until he hurt his shoulder, and uh, Michael Givens has been a little worse, but he's still been a big part of the Orioles' bullpen, so they've sort of uh, kept up their performances as quality relievers. I was a little... I don't want to say annoyed, but I had I made note of right to write about Edwin Diaz like a month ago, but uh, I kind of held off. Been so good in the meantime. I was kind of annoyed. I bought low. I think I waited too long because some other people started to write about him, uh, and and that got some attention. Not that it matters that much. It's like uh, people are still going to read about Edwin Diaz, and we hadn't written about him on Fangraphs. You can't worry too much about what's going on elsewhere. But it's uh, it's more fun to be like one of the first people. To say, sure. hey, look, check out this guy. And then I think I waited too long because of goddamn trade deadline. Yeah, that's, well, I know. I obviously, I agree that there's a great pleasure. In, and not necessarily to be, <clears throat> I don't want to say, it's, it's just because you get to, you get, for me, I feel like, oh, well, uh, just a couple of us know about this. We we have a little, it's like a temporary, It, it there's something ephemeral about it, right? Uh, I mean, obviously, a few years ago, I had a lot of fun uh Writing about eulogizing Corey Kluber, mm-hmm. and before and then of course he went on, you know, a couple of years after that to become a Cy Young Award winner. But the the fun part was not it was not necessarily stamping my name on Corey Kluber to say this is my guy. It was that there were other people who were noticing too, and we could all we knew that we had a bit of a we built a community. You know, I mean, a virtual community, but that's, you know, when you look like I do and act like I act, that's the best, <laughs> best, best case scenario frequently. And, uh, yeah, so it's, but it's a symbol because you know what's going to end. You know, either there's two things that could happen. One of them is he could become very good. Everyone will know about him. You say good, you know, you still say good job, Corey Kluber, but that doesn't, but it also changes the, din- the dynamic. You lose the sort of intimacy, mm-hmm. uh, your intimacy with the other people were excited. About him, or he becomes bad, you know. And that's actually, I know that uh, prob- probably the year after Kluber, I was also I was getting excited about Matt Shoemaker, and I think you yeah. actually you wrote about him, and you I think you really uh, crystallized for me the notion of like essentially how he had a Japanese pitcher's repertoire, but he was from like Torrance or something. I don't know where he's from, <laughs> Buffalo. It's connected to you. I think you I think you nailed it. I think it was Torrance. Yeah, is he from? Yeah, maybe he's from Torrance. Uh, quick be, confirmation. Matthew David Shoemaker. He hails from oh Trenton, Trenton High School. Born in Wyand, Wyand. Well, born somewhere. I don't know. What state? Torrance, uh, Michigan. Oh, okay, yeah, not Torrance at all. Torrance, I believe, is California. Anyway, in any case, he's from Michigan. Is the point, which is not Japan. And uh, but uh, but right, but then he was uh, Shoemaker last year was not not very good at all. <laughs> uh, uh, but then this year he's been. Uh, he certainly had spells where he's been excellent because he, he started throwing harder and yeah he's he's been really quite good since the since April I think since basically he came back up in the minor leagues right yeah yeah I, is he the ace of the staff is... uh, I mean we probably shouldn't try to dwell too much on what's going on in the Angels rotation yeah. they did at least they got Tyler Skaggs back and he's looked really good right uh, so that's, even, that's yeah, something he was doing really well in the yeah. you know both by uh, both by the war that is informed by FIP and also was well, definitely by the war that's informed by FIP. Uh, Cambridge Georgian has recorded the second highest, the second most wins on that team. Mm-hmm. And then he's recorded the third most, uh, by the war that's informed by runs allowed per nine. Nick Tropiano yeah, is in the uh, middle. Yeah, Tropiano is, uh, he's, he's one of what, the three of them that are having Tommy John surgery? 
Tropiano. Oh, is he already Richard, again? Oh, and, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Haney. Andrew Haney. Yeah. yeah. So going into next year, they'll have Shoemaker. They'll have Skaggs. They'll have Ricky Nolasco now. They'll have. Right, yeah, that's right. That, yeah, curious trade. And then maybe Gary guess, Richards. Is Richard, will Richards be back? No, Richards, he's out all oh, year. Okay. Cause they, uh, he and Haney waited. They, uh, they tried some injections, I think, to try to right. repair their ligaments and it, it didn't work. Uh, they're okay, finally so, going to be rid of J- Jared Weaver. Oh, that's right. Is what is he in the last year of his contract? Yeah, which was supposed to be a bargain contract, and and maybe it did work out that way. But do you think I, that uh, do you think Weaver will pitch anywhere next year? Uh, I mean, uh, God, I really don't want to think about that. But he he is, should get oh my god that's a good question kind of like late career barry zito but he hung around but then he was locked up forever he was a, his yeah. contract lasted forever so that's a that's a good question weaver right now he's got terrible strikeouts terrible home run problem terrible velocity but he's got a lot of experience and a lot of uh i don't know what's the word gumption yeah does he have a lot of gumption he's probably got some gumption back there um, but like what good team would want to sign him and then what rebuilding team would have a place for him what if you if he were pitching at a college right now if you were pitching in college, you, you know he had been a junior this year. Uh, in what round do you think he would have been selected? If if uh, if you were a college everything's pitcher, the same. everything's uh-huh. the same. Except the only thing that's different is that he's uh, twenty-one. Yeah, he wouldn't be drafted. You don't draft players who throw eighty-two. Miles <laughs> no, I don't think you do. <laughs> but you, he that his repertoire wouldn't make. Many competitive high school staffs. I don't think. <laughs> I'm not trying to like be an <laughs> either. I no, just, no, no, I really no. But don't. But the, the point is right. I mean, that happens too, right? Because uh, guys learn things as they go along. Uh huh. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out. I Torrance felt familiar. Like there's some player who's from Torrance that we talk about a lot. Yeah. Uh. And, but the best I'm seeing, the best candidate I'm seeing is Stephen Wright, which just isn't doing it for me. You don't think that's you don't think that's what you meant. No. Uh, so whatever, I'm over it. I don't care. You don't care. This guy doesn't care. Yeah. Uh, other angels. Jeff, uh, Jeff Sullivan's done caring about Torrance, California. Yeah, this guy doesn't care about Torrance. Don Assey's from California. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I guess. Uh, so what was uh what was topic B? Oh yeah. You visited. Oh also recently. the other the other one of my guys, I think I've made this obvious by now, but huge James Paxton fan. That's all. We can move on oh, yeah. to topic B. Okay, topic B. Topic B was this. Um we when you visited, we went to one bar called Solo Bistro downtown. We I think we each had one or two <laughs> Yes we did. One of us ordered a cocktail after closing. Yep, and uh, and then we went over to Burns Irish Pub, where we each had uh, at least two or three of us had another drink, and there was a pretty pretty. This is this is not something I frequently utter aloud, but it, I think it was a pretty decent karaoke night. They were mm-hmm. do, they were doing karaoke, and there were some good singers. Yes, fair enough. Yes, I think that's fair. Somehow we probably related to that. Um, the topic of Alanis Morissette's "You Ought to Know," yeah, Rose, and yeah. you and/or your lady friend submitted 
for consideration the possibility, or in your minds, maybe the certain fact that that song was about Dave Coulier, also known as uh-huh. Dave Cut It Out Coulier. I hold in my head that this is a factual statement. I am concerned now that you are going to say that nope. it is not, but I am open to what you have to say. No, no, no. I, I, I did zero reconnaissance on it. <laughs> okay. And the thing that's amusing to me is, cause, so I know that they're both Canadian. I know that Alanis Morissette's surname is Morissette, which is French. So I say that's a French Canadian person. No. Dave Coulier, his last name is French. So I say that's another French Canadian person. The only other French Canadian person I know is probably Patrick Waugh. <laughs> and so I was like, so if she's singing, so already in my head, when Alanis Morissette is singing about a, um, a love, a, a love affair gone awry, I think, well, it's either Dave Coulier or Patrick Waugh. Uh-huh. But it actually was one of them. It actually was. Now, or maybe when, it wasn't. Well, I'm yeah. pretty, pretty sure. Now, I don't know if this is just one of those urban myths that spread really far because it's kind of like embarrassing and distinctly Canadian, but I've heard for a long time that that song is about Dave Goulier. Uh, but you know, we've all had our, our breakups with people that maybe we wish that weren't people that we'd had in our lives. And also, for all I know, Dave Goulier was a really good, Good dude. Maybe Elias Morissette was the one who deserved what she got. I I don't know, but she is. Uh, I feel like Dave Coulier. Well, I don't feel like it. I mean, using using my knowledge as a human, <laughs> I feel as though Dave Coulier is quite a bit older than Elias Morissette. Uh, I feel like I don't know if that's true at all, but I feel like I can tell you real quick. Yeah. Uh huh. Dave Coulier. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. What's his age? Guess his age. Hmm. Fifty, uh, fifty, fifty-six, and okay. Uh, guess Alanis Morissette's age. I think she was quite young when that when she released that. And I think that was about twenty-five years ago. So let's say she was twenty-three when that happened. I think she's forty-eight. She's forty-two. Oh, oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. No wonder there was discord. Yes. Yeah. You know, you know who don't who don't really see eye to eye. Uh, people who are. 22 and 36 or whatever the age difference was at the right. time. Uh, but, uh, to, to put your mind that he's, Alanis Morissette is now, uh, married. She is presumably happily married, although I suppose she could just be sustainably unhappily married to, uh, mm-hmm. somebody who goes by the name of Soul Eye. Soul Eye. Uh, that is his one name. He actually, he has a real name, but I, I am given to believe no, that no, do not him. use it. Honor, honor his decision. Uh-huh. Soul Eye, the rapper. Okay. He is American, however, so she moved on from the French Canadian sort. I don't even know. I don't know that he's. Uh, I don't know that he. I don't know where he's from. Uh, he is. Uh, he's from. Well, he's based in. He's based in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And he performs what the second Google result tells me is conscious hip hop. Conscious hip hop. Dave Coulier performs conscious hip hop. No, no, no. This is Soli. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, how, okay. So here's, here's partial description that I think probably says enough that we don't want to listen to Solai's music. Solai is the positive hip hop artist, the positive hip hop artist based in Los Angeles, California. His conscious lyrics, trip hop roots, EDM pop rap sensibly bridges the gap between the, and then there's more that's cut off and I would have to click through to the website to read it. I'm not going to click through to the website to read it. It's fine. People have their own, their own projects. 
Jeff. It's fine. It's fine. Do you feel validated by your work? Because I don't know if Soli feels validated by his work, but do you feel validated by your work? Mm, No, I don't think so. Mm -hmm. Have we had the conversation where I ask you what you tell people you do? Uh, Briefly, yeah. It's it's very hard. Oh, yeah. Well, have I told you my description? Uh, Not so you remember. Was it the Moneyball guy? Yeah. Okay. So how how many people know what you actually do? Uh, including Dave Cameron and David Appleman, <laughs> zero, zero. <laughs> zero, because I don't know what I do. I don't know. I remain, I remain generally engaged on the site throughout the course of the day. Uh huh. And you, you do something capably enough and for long enough that you and your spouse together could uh, acquire a beautiful West Elm table for your uh, <laughs> for your dining space with one bench and not the the matching the bench. Yeah. 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 It's uh, looking good. You got any West Elm over there? Uh no, but to to be completely honest, I would like to have the same table. It's a nice table, I think. It's a nice table. It's it's firm. You know, that's the kind of table where if the wooden horse were made out of that wood, you wouldn't even necessarily know it was hollow. Ah, that's a good point. It's true. If we were to christen this table, <laughs> there could be, I mean, there could be Greeks in this table right now. Right? They're so just crazy. waiting to come out, but you don't go to sleep. It's true. We stay up all night. That's how we do it. I don't know, Jeff. Uh, I mean, we had the big, we had the big Alanis Morissette conversation. <laughs> Both you and your lady friend seem really convinced that it, it could concern Dave Coulier. I was surprised, but then at the same time, I, I felt va- I, that, I felt validated by that. Mm-hmm. I felt like there was, meaning in the world because of that yeah no do you feel do you feel validated by your work i think uh i i don't i try not to keep too much validation wrapped up in the work because at the end of the day we're we're writing about baseball and we're not doing anything particularly noble but i do like that i think it keeps my brain sharp and it's Mm -hmm. It's definitely good for the ego just to be sort of, you, you know, think, like a somebody without being a somebody where people are weird about you. You feel like even your recent stuff is keeping your brain sharp, Jeff? I oh, read like, some of, I mean, I've read some of the recent stuff and like you're including that in like even like even your most recent posts. Well, I'm most proud of my unpublished work. That I, <laughs> <laughs> this, uh, do, you think, do you think Dave Coulier speaks French? Uh, I suspect he speaks adequate French. Okay. Do you think Alanis Morissette speaks French? Yes. I have to tell you, I've done some uh, some of my own reconnaissance in the meantime, some uh-huh. background reconnaissance, and I regret to inform myself out loud and you for the first time, Dave Coulier, not from Canada. Are you? Oh. Although his family Wait. is from Canada. He was born in Michigan. Well, okay. So he's like oh. a happy. He's a happy. He's a happy, as they call him in Canadian. He's a he's a toonie. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever uh, you ever just out like at a restaurant? You accidentally pull out some some foreign currency. You're like, oh, sorry, we just got back from Slovenia. Uh, that hasn't happened, but I you was. You never pull out. You ever pull out a Canadian dollar and say, sorry, we just come back from Slovenia? 
<laughs> that that particular sequence of events has not happened to me. But I was I was doing laundry just uh, just last week, and we we have laundry machines in the basement, and they require quarters, which is annoying. And I went down with five quarters that were given to me by my girlfriend because I need five quarters to operate the washer, and I put in four quarters and tried to put in one Canadian something, and the washing machine uh, did not accept it. It didn't knew better. It just, yeah, it wouldn't even fit, which was frustrating because I thought this is a weird fitting quarter. And uh, upon closer inspection, there was a woman on it, a queen of some sort, <laughs> uh, which I know that we've never had in this country. So I knew from that and from the lack of fit, it was not a quarter. And that now, when you say was, queen, do you mean like like actual like a member of royalty, or do you mean like a handsome, tall, well kept man wearing a bright salmon shirt? <laughs> Well, you don't you don't really get the color shade on the on the coin. On the coin uh, is it's a pretty bright silver shirt. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, on the coin. Yeah, monochromatic clothes that people on coins wear. It's hard to look fabulous in that. Yeah, they're actually all portraits, carefully painted portraits, but they just had them wear silver uniforms in the day. That's a nice fantasy world in which to live briefly. Jeff, the one where you what you just said is reality. But all not coins are photographs with silver clothes and silver backdrops. It's all basically, I think. See, okay, currency. It all started with the Tin Man and the Wizard of Oz, right? Have you ever seen a coin from like nineteen fourteen? No, you haven't, because there wasn't any. There weren't any coins. Everything was like nuggets of bronze, and that's what people traded for like seven thousand years. And then yeah. finally, the Wizard of Oz happened. They're like, oh, this silver. Is, this is what we're all about. We're going to start trading coins that look like this. I hear a dog. I hear a dog in the background. Yeah, you did correctly diagnose the situation. I abruptly needed to change topics because I was not going to go anywhere with a Tin Man conversation. Uh, you know, he if died. you go to, you know, he died. If you go to the British Museum in England, uh, London, I yeah, yep. uh, there's an area around that where there are a number of shops that sell um, that sell Roman coins for very cheap. Mm-hmm. That's it. It's the end of that. You ever, you ever go to a restaurant and then accidentally pull out ancient Roman currency and say, <laughs> we just got back from Slovenia? <laughs> I say that because I've never been to Slovenia. I've really uh, – I'd like to go. Yeah, it would be nice. I just uh, – I think we're, we're starting to get our sights set potentially on going to uh, – oh, this is embarrassing because I forgot the name of the place. Macedonia? Let's go with Macedonia. Maybe sure, Macedonia. Yeah. It's a country, yeah. It's a near to Slovenia, I believe. In my head, it's the same thing as Albania. <laughs> uh, is it? Is it? Is it Albania? Is it the I think same Albania thing? has a meaner-looking flag. Okay, if I recall. Oh, actually, it's, no. Oh, but but I'm also not entirely incorrect. It, it's it's right next to Ma- to Macedonia. Is okay. Albania? Yeah, yeah. So Albania has the mean red flag with the birds spitting and. Uh, Macedonia has a flag that is uh, a nice, reassuring yellow sun. Uh, that is, uh, it's got its. I don't know if you're looking at the flag. It's a yellow circle in the middle. It's a sun. No, keep explaining the flag. A, Just okay. explain the flag. Yellow circle in the middle, mm-hmm. uh, and it has uh, to represent the sun. I'm going to assume, and then you have eight uh, relatively symmetrical rays coming out of the sun, uh, approaching you. I think is what it looks like. So you're looking at the sun, and you have the eight rays. Uh, implying that it's a bright, warm day. And okay. uh, the color in between the rays is red, which conveys to me that the sunlight at last in Macedonia is cutting through the bloodshed that I assume, Ooh, but right. embarrassingly cannot confirm 
Well, uh, it's one of those countries over there. You figure it's probably some bloodshed at some point, right? right? I mean, let's be honest. In every country, people died horribly all oh, the yeah. time. All like, so what's this, the draw of Macedonia? Uh, it's there, and it looks nice, and there's mountains. It was... Uh, my my mom and stepdad broached the idea some time ago of uh, of us all traveling together with my girlfriend and going to Bhutan, but for reasons I don't need to get into, that has fallen through. And so I think they were looking for a different uh, group trip idea. And uh, mom uh, sent me an email and said, "Hey, what about this place?" And I was like, "Yeah, that's fine." I bet, I bet, I don't know I don't know if Macedonia is the Europe. My guess would be relatively affordable in Macedonia. Uh, yeah, uh, tourism is, quote, in its infancy, according to the article that my mother literally cut out of the newspaper, which is an old-fashioned Is that you an article from the newspaper? That's adorable. That's yeah, adorable. she sends, she cuts out articles in the newspaper, and then my grandmother just emailed me the other day. I can't you tell. Know, there's some sort of a generation inversion. You know how there's, you know how there's, uh, you watch, like, local news or, or or whatever, and they're like, oh, this is a hundred-year-old World War One vet right here. Now it could be World War Two vet, you know. Or this is the last, you know, like maybe you had a town, like in your town when you were really young. Like this is the last veteran from World War One in the town, and he's going, he's in a Chrysler Sebring, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he's got the top down, and he's kind of waving, but he doesn't look great. But you know, he's <laughs> an old, you know, but he's the oldest guy in town, so you like a, you give give him a proper amount of respect. Like, but it's in the future, it's going to be your mom in that Christ receiving. And in the parade, they'll be like, this is the last person in our town who sends, who sends newspaper clippings to one of her children. That's going to be the distinction. And it, and it will not carry the same sort of gravity because, you know, because it's not the same sort of uh, risk involved as, you know, fighting in a war. But at the same time, it will elicit that kind of nostalgia. Like oh people, oh people used to do that, and she did it. You know, <laughs> she sent me a few years ago. She sent me, or maybe gave to me, an article she cut off the newspaper that was detailing uh, steps you could take toward being more financially responsible. And <laughs> the irony of that is that those who are most financially responsible are not producing on a daily basis the newspaper that you distribute to to the city uh, metro area. Yeah, although I bet the people who are receiving newspapers in the city. Probably it's an older demographic. Yeah, I think that people who read the newspapers are the older demographic who have enough disposable income to just have a subscription to the newspaper, meaning they do not need the advice at all. They're probably right. the last people who oh, need the advice point, yeah. because they're probably yeah. retired. Right. So yeah. I think it's an article that you expect those parents or grandparents to then cut out and provide to their college-age family members. That concludes this edition of Fangraphs Audio. <laughs> well, it was uh, it was good, except for that weird uh, that weird dropped connection hiccup. Uh, I think we did well. A lot of talk about horses and shirts. <laughs> it's not complete until you get to it. Let's uh, let's end it, uh, and then we well, we can end our conversation off off air as well. I'll say uh, I'll say thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Carson. That has been senior editor at Fangraphs.com, Jeff Sullivan. I'm Carson Sestouli. This has been Fangraphs Audio.